And this morning, and I hope you can make it out to our Christmas Eve service this Tuesday night as we talk about experiencing Christmas. And we'll talk specifically on Tuesday about the Christmas experience. But this morning we're also going, thank you Mike, we're also going to talk about exactly what Christmas is all about. And there are many wonderful things that surround this time of year, many traditions that are specific to the month of December. Well, actually it starts, I think, now in October at Costco. (laughs) But we sing about this being the most wonderful time of the year. We sing joy to the world, the Lord is come, amen? We sing about a silent and holy night. Our neighborhoods are wonderfully decorated with lights and seasonally appropriate displays. There's candy canes everywhere, fudge all around. Somebody say amen to fudge. There are Christmas sweaters and other apparel that are worn only at this time of year. We even have now, as an annual event, ugly sweater parties to recognize it is the Christmas season. Now, it's also quite interesting that there's some other ugly things that go on at this time of year. It was interesting as I was on the radio with Don Stewart uh, this past Wednesday, the very first question that came up was about Christmas trees. Does the Bible prohibit Christmas trees? And there was even a verse that was employed to make the case for a biblical prohibition on Christmas trees. And it was from Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 3 to 4, where Jeremiah said the customs of the peoples, meaning the unbelieving people, are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. Well, I have to say, our tree at home came from the artificial tree forest, so nobody laid an axe to it. But some have taken this as a biblical prohibition on Christmas trees when the fact is, Jeremiah wrote this 600 years before there ever was the first Christmas. And early in our own nation's history, there were some who were even carried away by such things as what was offered on the radio the other day. As a matter of fact, from the records of the General Court in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, dated May 11, 1659, the General Court said this, quote, For preventing disorders arising in several places within this jurisdiction by reason of some still observing such festivals as were superstitiously kept in other communities to the great dishonor of God and offense of others. It is therefore ordered by this court and the authority thereof that whosoever shall be found observing any such day as Christmas or the like, either by forbearing of labor, feasting, or any other way upon such account as aforesaid, every such person so offending shall pay for every such offense five shilling as a fine to the county. Now, I'm thankful that only lasted 22 years and it was repealed. And listen, the problem with using Jeremiah as a condemnation of celebrating Christmas or having a tree is that, as is often the case of many arguments, the critics don't keep reading. Because Jeremiah goes on to say in 5 through 10 of chapter 10, they are upright like a palm tree, talking about the tree that someone would decorate and uh, having cut it down. And they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them. Nobody here is afraid of Christmas trees, right? 
For they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good, inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Somebody say amen. Amen. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. But they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Silver is beaten into plates. It is brought from Tarshish and the gold of Uphaz, the work of the craftsman in the hands of the metalsmith. Blue and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skillful men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. In his wrath, the earth will tremble and all the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. You know what Jeremiah is actually saying? He's not saying, listen, Christian, don't put up a Christmas tree in your house. What he's actually saying is how foolish it is to make something yourself and then bow down to it like it's God. And this is what the context is. And this is what Jeremiah is talking about. Many today raise an objection to Christmas from the politically correct posture. And if you've been to church here before, you know how careful I am to always be politically correct, which is never. Now, some, in hopes of not offending other people, will say, happy holidays. Well, what they don't realize is that the word holidays actually means holy days, and they are the days associated with the Christmas season. Now, others like to throw out there, and they would be right, and it is true that Jesus was not actually born on December 25th, yet it is the day set aside to recognize his birth. It's more likely that Jesus was born in September or October based on the things even that we find in Scripture. And I am going somewhere with all this, so hang on. In Luke chapter 2, 1 to 3, we're told it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Now, we were given several timestamps there that historians have recorded for us, and we know that the census was a supernaturally orchestrated event. It was inspired by God to take Joseph and Mary from their hometown of Nazareth to the place where the Bible said the Savior must be born, the city of Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2, and 4 says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. From now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Now, I have to say, if there was going to be a child who was born that would be the ruler of Israel and all the world, whose goings forth are from before time began, who will stand in his own strength and feed his people in the name of the Lord God and be great to the ends of the earth. I have to say that's a birth worth celebrating. That's someone worth recognizing. Now we know that the time of the census, according to historians, was in late summer or early fall at the very latest, for travel would have been difficult for anyone during the winter. And we also know that the shepherds were in the fields by night, and this was a common practice at the time of Jesus' birth and before and beyond, when shepherds and flocks during the winter months would find their shelter 
uh, during that time. They would not be out in the fields by night. Now other people say, you know what, we need to abandon Christmas because it's been commercialized. Some would say the Bible doesn't record the early church remembering the day or the birth of Jesus. And therefore, it is nothing more than a pagan holiday. Listen, all that I just shared with you is Greek for bah humbug. We are going to celebrate Christmas. Listen, we have a beautiful tree at our house. There are decorations all over the house. There are candy canes. I was at the store the other day, and because I know my wife likes candy canes all over the house, I even found some root beer candy canes. So we have root beer candy canes at our house. There's caramel, Terry's famous fudge. I'm going to be making my annual carb fest of a breakfast on Christmas morning just to get your mouth watering. Stuffed French toast, chocolate chip pancakes. Also, we've got cheesy grits with grits imported from another country called Kentucky. Also... We have four breakfast meats. We have country potatoes. And Terry's making monkey bread like she does every year, or pull-apart bread. Listen, we're celebrating Christmas at my house. Now, whether you think Christmas is too commercial, unbiblical, or offensive to other religions or anything else that is negative, the fact is Christmas is the acknowledgement of the greatest event in human history to date. I say to date because there's another event that's coming that is of equal importance. And I believe it's coming in the not too distant future. And therefore, after that very long and tedious introduction, what I want to talk to you about this Christmas Sunday morning is actually what's on everyone's mind. I guarantee it was on the minds of all of those up on the stage. And be careful of your spelling and take note. What we're going to talk about this morning is the Christmas presents. Presents. Not the things under the tree, but the presence of Christ on earth that we were told of this morning from Isaiah 9, 6. Now, Christmas presents are on everyone's mind at this time of year, whether it be those who are going to begin their shopping on Christmas Eve, like Pastor Dave does every year, or those who are just wondering what is coming their way. We know all the kids certainly are, but the fact is it's the Christmas presents That should be on our minds all year round. And this morning and Tuesday night, we're going to consider the true meaning of Christmas. And we'll do so, at least this morning, through the lens of the spirit of Christmas past, the spirit of Christmas present, and the spirit of Christmas future as a reminder of what Christmas is really all about. It's about God's presence. So we're going to use a wonderful set of verses from the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, if you'd like to turn there. And as you're turning, please stand in honor of the infallible and inspired word of God and read them with me, please. If you don't have a Bible handy, they'll be up on the screens. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, we're told, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we are thankful for these verses this morning. We are thankful for this pause on the calendar to stop and recognize that you wrapped yourself in the likeness of sinful human flesh, that you might become a savior to the world, and that as we read a moment ago, you have appeared to all men or made yourself known. So Lord, would you make yourself known today by your word? 
which is living and powerful, and should there be any who do not yet know the experience of coming to know Christ as Savior and Lord, that that would not be true by the end of this time. We give you glory and honor and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, Paul initially reminds Titus in verse 11 to remind other Christians what Christmas is actually all about, which is Christ appearing. But Christ appearing was not limited to his day of birth in the mind of the early church, and his appearing impacted the past, the present, and the future of every person. After all, the Greek word translated into the English word appearing is epiphano, and it means to shine forth. It's the Greek foundation for the word epiphany that we would use in English, to make something revealed or clear. Now, I want to remind us again of three things this morning about the Christmas presence. And the first is what Christ's presence means to our past. Now, first of all, we're told when Christ appeared, when he shone forth, when he shined forth to all men, he did so as an expression of God's grace. Now, Ephesians tells us in 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the what? It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, this has never happened to me, and I don't think it's ever happened to any of you. At least I hope not, that you've opened a gift and found inside a bill for what you received. Now, that's never happened to me, and I hope it doesn't happen this week for anybody either. Because the fact is, if you have to pay for it, it's not a gift, it's a purchase. And therefore, Ephesians 2 is saying you can't purchase your own salvation through good works. Because if we would, it couldn't be a gift by definition. So how does this gift of salvation affect our past? Well, the truth is, there's a famous verse in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that defines it well where it says, Therefore, if anyone, say anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation Old things of the past has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How many are thankful for the word anyone this morning? Now, this Christmas Sunday, I am thankful for that because it means I qualify as one who can have their past done away with or have their past pass away. And with a past like mine and like many of you, it is a great reason to celebrate Christmas every day because the fact is this. Here's the first of three things. Here's the first thing considering the spirit of Christmas past. Listen, the sins of our past are no match for his presence. The sins of our past are no match for his presence. If you are in Christ, your past is done away with. The record of wrong that you and I have accumulated and accrued throughout our lives without him are completely covered in the blood of Jesus Christ who came into the world to die for sinners. And by God's grace, everyone can experience the Christmas presence. It shines forth to all. But as is true with any gift, the benefits and blessings of a gift are only experienced by those who do what? Open the gift. Now, I know most adults aren't like kids. They wind up playing with a box instead of the toy that was inside of the box. But we still have to open the gift to experience the benefits of it. And therefore, when we open the gift, John 1.12 tells us, But as many as received him, meaning Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who what? Believe in his name. The word received means to take possession of. 
In other words, whoever takes possession of the free gift of Christ as their Savior has the right to become the child of God. So, yes, Christ came into the world as a gift to offer salvation to all, but we must receive the gift. He appeared and brought salvation to all men that the ghosts of Christmas past, so to speak, might be conquered by his presence. And for me, every day is Christmas because of Christ's presence in my life. So we don't need to get hung up on a single day. The early church didn't. Christmas was about Christ appearing, and they remembered it every single day. Listen, I'm going to celebrate Christmas in June. I'm going to celebrate it in October. That doesn't mean we're going to set up a tree. Well, maybe we can have fudge. I hope we can at least do that. And I'm going to have Christmas every day for one simple reason. And Paul wrote about it to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15, where he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul self-identified as the chief of sinners. Now, I think some of us have given him a pretty good run for the money with our own lives. But the blood of Christ is able to cover all of our sins. Amen? Now, Therefore, our past is no match for his presence. And the Christmas presence is with us every day. And the same can be true for all who choose to open the gift of salvation by being born again. Now, Paul also mentioned, as he wrote to Pastor Titus, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And this is insight into the spirit of Christmas present. That the grace of God that brings salvation through his shining forth over the darkness of our past teaches us. Well, what does it teach us? Well, Jesus said in John 8, 12, as he spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in what? Darkness, but have the light of life. And listen, darkness and light are idioms for multiple things in Scripture, unrighteousness and righteousness, error and truth. Also spiritual darkness and spiritual clarity. And this is the spirit of Christmas present because our past is no match for his presence. And having done away with our past, his appearing then teaches us how to live in the present. Now, Jesus would also say, as he opened up the greatest sermon ever, preached the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 14, 16, having given the Beatitudes to the listeners. Then he said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Your good works, not that they'll save you, but they are expressions of saving faith. And glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this is what the Christmas presence means to us in the present. Listen, recognizing his presence will impact our every practice. Recognizing his presence will impact our every practice. Now, we ought to live every day remembering the Christmas story. The appearing of Christ come into the world to die for our sins. Because every day he is present. He is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere simultaneously. And we know, of course, that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, living soberly, righteously, and godly is Greek for being boring and missing out on everything fun. Is that what it means? Hardly. Listen, denying ungodliness means to contradict wickedness. 
Worldly lust means to be carried off by the forbidden. Soberly means with a sound mind. Righteously means to treat others fairly. And godly means reverently. This is what his appearing teaches to all mankind. And let me ask you, wouldn't the world be a better, safer, and more joyful place if all the world acted like Jesus taught us to act by his presence on the earth? Well, of course it would. And because he has dealt with Christmas past by the power of his presence, his presence has the power over our every practice. We can live in a way that contradicts wickedness. We cannot be carried off by the forbidden. And that's a very important point because getting carried off by the forbidden, which is the definition of lust, is associated with a great deal of pains and problems in this life and the sorrows being associated with carrying off what, uh, being carried off by forbidden things. We can face today with a sound mind. We can treat other people fairly out of a reverence for God. Maybe I need to say that again. We can treat other people fairly out of a reverence for God. There's not a lot of fair treatment going on in our world today, is there? Thank you, Mike, for that one response. Anybody else want to get in on this? Now, listen, living like that doesn't sound boring to me at all. That sounds like an awesome way to live. It sounds like something that is beneficial to us all. And I want to live that way every day, don't you? And if we do, then that means every day is Christmas because every day is filled with God's presence. And King David said in Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, I, like many of you, and we could also say like all of you at some point, live for myself in the past. I found myself consumed with things that the world has defined as fun. Years ago, I was the proverbial party animal and did whatever I wanted. But what I recognize now is there was no fullness of joy. There was nothing but trouble. There was nothing but sorrow. My life was not better. My life was a bitter mess. And it did seem fun in the early stages, but then it led to where sin always leads. It led to pain, regret, and sorrow. And listen, I like what I do and who I am today much better. And I am having a lot more regret-free fun today. And my life is far from boring. And those closest to me are far happier too. Now, I'm especially thankful that the Christmas presents has wiped out my past, but it's also changed my present. And that's what the Christmas presence is all about. That's what it means for us today. Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Do you know that as born again believers, someday we're going to see Jesus face to face. Someday we're going to look him in the eye. Someday, Philippians 3 tells us, we're going to be like him. We're even going to see him as he is. And these lowly bodies are going to put on a glorious body that it is in his image and will be capable of living forever because we'll be forever with the Lord. And then Paul tells Titus again, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, his presence outshines our past. Amen. His presence changes our present. So now we can see that there is hope in the future and even look forward to that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, 
Jesus Christ. And listen, in this day where Christmas means so many things to so many people, in an age where many, sadly, even in our government, seem to be more concerned about offending a person of a different faith than offending the God who has blessed this nation greatly, there's something we need to remember this Christmas Sunday morning. And that is Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now listen, Jesus was not a man who attained uh, the status of Messiah through a life of good works. He was God when he was born. He was God himself taking on human flesh, just as the scripture foretold. And since he has appeared, since he is continually present in those who are now the light of the world, we cannot or can we not be assured that his promised return can also be trusted in. And this, sadly, is a subject of controversy today. Listen, I have news for you, and it's good news. It's great news. It's the best news you're ever going to hear. Through Jesus, you can be born again. And through Jesus, you can live forever with him. And through Jesus, when he comes again, you can go and get taken off of this giant dirt clod and live in a place where there is fullness of joy forevermore and pleasures at his right hand. Now, what that tells us is this. His coming present, presence rather, is our current hope for the future. His coming presence, him being present here on the earth once again, is our current hope for the future. Now, his presence in the past, his presence in the present, tells us that the hope for the future is the same as it was yesterday, today, and forever. And Paul would also tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 8, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved what? His appearing. Now, in this context, the phrase that day is associated with the last days, a future time when the Lord will appear a second time. Now, I want to leave you with this last thought, this blessed Christmas Sunday morning, as we are here this morning in his presence, because where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. The Lord is here today. There are many today who shun the thought of the Lord's return, saying, you know, I've heard this all before. I've heard people talking about Jesus coming again. And there's even a scripture in Second Peter where Peter talks about scoffers coming in the last days saying, where's the promise of his coming? Nothing has changed since our ancestors fell asleep who believed the same thing. Now, the truth is people don't deny the existence of Jesus, for he is the most historically verifiable person in all of history. And yet, though it is undeniable that he came once, We're told he's coming again and that we are to be looking for his appearing. Now, Hebrews 9, 27 through 28 reminds us it is appointed for men to die once. After all, the wages of sin is death. But after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear what? 
a second time apart from sin for salvation. Now, Jesus came to bring new life to as many as received him, as we read in John 1, 12. And by receiving him, you become sons and daughters of God. He is coming a second time apart from the purposes of bearing our sins on the cross. He is coming a second time for the purpose of salvation. And in this context, that word means deliverance. Now, normally when you hear something that's too good to be true, it is. I got another one of those offers in the mail the other day. I came running in the house all excited and uh, just wanted to throw a curveball at my wife and uh, daughter. And I said, good news. I've been pre-approved to apply. <laughs> Listen, this is much better news than that. Amen. We're going to be delivered. We're going to be rescued from this planet. And this is not something that is too good to believe or be true because Jesus is coming again. As a matter of fact, looking for the return of Christ is how we celebrate Christmas every single day. I want you to think about this. Peter, James, Paul, and the other apostles all expected the Lord to return soon and they lived accordingly. The early church fathers all expected the Lord to return soon and they lived accordingly. All the members of the early church in the first century and beyond thought that Jesus was coming soon and they lived accordingly. Jumping ahead centuries, Jonathan Edwards thought the Lord was coming soon and he lived accordingly. C.H. Spurgeon thought the Lord was coming soon and he lived accordingly. We're developing a pattern here. Let's see if you pick up on it. D.O. Moody thought the Lord was coming soon and he lived accordingly. J. Vernon McGee thought the Lord was coming soon and he... Pastor Chuck Smith thought the Lord was coming soon and he lived accordingly. Yet all of these great men of God are now in heaven and the Lord did not come in their lifetime. But that doesn't mean he's not coming in ours. Now, I submit to you this Christmas Sunday morning that the fact that these men live their lives looking for the appearing of Jesus Christ for his church and they expected him to return at any moment is the very reason that we know all their names. The fact is, their lives reflected their expectancy. And this is what the Christmas presence is all about. The Christmas presence has covered our past. It impacts the present. It is our hope for the future. Well, did the early church celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Yeah, they did. And on the 26th. And on the 27th. And on the 28th. What's next? And on the 29th. Now, you might be here this morning, and many of you are. You might be saying, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I tried to live a good life. I've never really really hurt anybody. I try to be honest and truthful. And if that's you this morning, I would say to you, if that was the way you could get into heaven, then Christ would have never have come to the earth. Because the fact is, the appearing of Christ was so that a gift could be offered to humankind, not a purchase made by good works. Salvation would then be an earned reward, not a gift from God as a manifestation of his grace. Now, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
The Bible also says to James, the Lord's half-brother, that to offend in one point of the law means you're guilty of all. It simply means if you've ever done one single thing wrong, it proves that you're a sinner. And therefore, if you're a sinner, you need a Savior. And Christ is that Savior. Now, I think we need to recognize something. And, you know, it's really a sad thing in our day that God has taken such a beating in the minds of so many. He has been equated as an equivalent to uh, other belief systems. And as we read in Jeremiah, there is none like the Lord. He alone is God and there is no other. And he has set as the entrance requirement into heaven, absolute sinless perfection. And then it tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how are we going to get in? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Yes. Now, the mechanics of this are that Christ presents to the Father his sinless and perfect life with our name written in his blood before him. And therefore... Our past is completely forgiven. Our present is completely put behind us. Our future is completely clean with the blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore, through Jesus, we meet God's requirements of perfection in order to enter into heaven. Now, none of us are perfect. Well, I'll take that, but... None of us are even remotely close to perfect. We all need a Savior. And the depth of God's love is demonstrated through the work of Christ on the cross. You know, there's a lot of people today who say, you know, if God was a God of love, why is there hatred in the world? If God is a God of love, why do children have cancer? Why do children get sick? Why do husbands die young and leave behind a family? Why is there war? If God is a God of love, how can all these things exist? How can they be consistent with a good and loving creator? Well, listen, one of the things we need to remember is you can't blame God for what man has done. Man is the reason there is illness in this world. Man is the reason that there are untimely deaths, as we would put them. Man is the reason that there is war. Man is the reason that there is hate, because God gave one command in the garden. He said, stay away from that tree. Don't eat it, because you'll walk away from it with the knowledge of good and evil. God was trying to protect man from himself and who he would be apart from him. Man chose to do what God prohibited. Man chose to go against the word of God and thus death was introduced into humanity. Well, God wasn't going to leave man in that state. God said, I'm going to do something about man and for man through the God man who will pay their sin debt in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, listen, we can't blame God for what man has done. But we can look to God for the forgiveness of all that man has done, individually, that is. Now, we have been promised eternal life. Where are we going to spend it? In His presence. What is there? Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. 
Now, listen, Christmas is not against the law. Amen? As a matter of fact, we might say it's a crime not to celebrate Christmas every single day. Why? Because our past is covered. Our present is blessed and our future is secure all because one night as shepherds watched their flocks, a child was born, a son was given, and his name is called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. What is Christmas really about? Presents. Not the kind that go under the tree, but the kind that was born in a manger on the very first Christmas day. I heard a rabbi the other day who said, I love how the Bible gives specific details. You know, I, I think if we recognize the, the purpose of the law and the giving of the law and all the rituals in Israel, we can see so many wonderful things be manifested, like the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb offered for 1,500 years was teaching Israel and all the world that a sinless victim had to cover the sins of others in their own blood. And that's why Jesus is called the Lamb of God. That's when John the Baptist, when he saw him, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he identified Jesus as. And I heard this rabbi who was a Messianic Jew. In other words, he's a Jew who believes that Yeshua is indeed the Messiah of Israel, the Holy One of Israel, our Savior. He said, you know, we often talk about the swaddling clothes at Christmas, but I don't think we realize what that means. And the fact is, these shepherds by night were not just ordinary shepherds. They were Levites. They had the assignment of raising Passover lambs and lambs for other sacrifices that were to be offered to God during the various ceremonies throughout the year and the daily sacrifices. And when there was born a spotless lamb or a lamb without any external defects, they would swaddle the lamb. They would wrap it in a cloth in order to protect it from becoming harmed by the elements or anything else. These lambs were born in birthing caves and they were protected by being laid in a manger. So when these Levites who had been swaddling lambs for years were drawn to the stable by a star, what they found was a spotless lamb wrapped in swaddling clothes being protected for his future execution that his blood might cover other people. I hope none of us think of swaddling clothes and simply wipe it away as some other word for diaper or something like that. There is great significance in everything in the Bible. And Jesus was born as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, to die as an innocent innocent victim on behalf of others. Man, this service is getting better and better as it goes. Amen. Now, the appearing and presence of Jesus Christ, God's plan of salvation, has been an epiphany to all men, to those of the past, to those of the present, and those in the future. There's been a gift given. The question is, have you opened the best gift ever, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord? Bow your heads with me, please, this Christmas Sunday morning. And Father, we are so grateful. 
for what you inspired Paul to write to Titus. How your appearing did away with our sinful past. How your appearing impacts and changes dynamically our present. How your appearing gives us hope for the future. And Lord, we thank you that you have been communicating throughout the Old Testament and on in and to and through the new. That there is but a single plan of salvation. And it is through Christ the Lord, the child born, the son given, who is a wonderful counselor, who is almighty God, who is Prince of Peace. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I know some of you have joined us this morning, maybe for the very first time. It is Christmas Sunday, and it's a wonderful thing to make the decision to go to church. But you've heard of the gift, but I want to give you the opportunity to open it if you haven't yet to recognize and receive Christ as Savior and Lord. Listen, there's a lot that is said and done in challenge to what the Bible says and about uh, God's exclusive uh, right to have the only means by which a person can be saved. But listen, all the evidence stands behind Jesus as being exactly who the Bible said he would. He was born of a virgin. He was born in Bethlehem. The Bible says through the prophet Hosea that out of Egypt I would call my son. And Joseph was told in a dream, hey, take your son down to Egypt because this guy in charge is going to try and kill him. And then God called him out of Egypt when uh, Herod was dead. And on and on and on and on the list goes of things that are proof that Jesus is who the Bible presents him to be. The Bible also says in Acts 4.12 that nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you can be saved. Jesus is the only way to be saved. Jesus is the portal, so to speak, if I can use a term that were as common today, by which we can enter into heaven, by which we can access the presence of the Father where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So listen, if you have any interest in going to heaven, if you want your past done away with, if you want your present dynamically changed, if you want the hope of the future, there's only one way to access that, and it's through Jesus.